Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Tamara Leland. She is an educational assistant, a massage therapist, the owner and founder of Even If Ministries, an international best-selling author, and of course, last but certainly not least, she's a mama to four kids. Tamara, welcome. How are you? Hi, Brad. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well. It's it's an early morning where I'm from right now, but <laughs> but I'm doing well. <laughs> well, thank you for making and taking the time to be here today. And I'm really excited to have you here. It's We've been talking about doing this for a while, so it's nice to finally actually have you here live and, and get this done with you. I'm so looking forward to jumping in and sharing more about you and your journey and your story with everyone. So let's jump right in. So as I mentioned, all right, you are all it. of those, you are all of those things. That is one hell of a lot of hats you wear and quite an extensive resume you have. <laughs> how on earth do you find the time for all this, Tamara? And how important is prioritization and organization to you? And how do you stay on top of things? Oh my gosh, it is a lot of hats. And it's certainly not something I thought I would be doing all, all these different things. But as life goes, sometimes it just happens. And what's huge for my world is schedules. We all have our schedules. I, like you said, I've got the four kids, they've got their own, I've got my own. I definitely have to stay on top of that scheduling. Somebody introduced me to the, to the calendar app on my phone a few years ago. I was like, oh, yep. this is genius. <laughs> so it's with me everywhere. So thank goodness. So I used to have like the good old big old wall calendar yeah. I mean, you can't take that with you anywhere so so that's had to change but no definitely keeping on top of, of everybody's schedules is it's not an easy task I don't, don't do it alone though I always want to say that you know I'm a single mom with four kids but I have a tribe of people that I lean on when I meet you know other kids to get here and there I lean on people and then I lean on my own kids they have to step up for me you know, if I'm busy in my clinic room, which thankfully just is in here in my house, they can pick up the slack and, you know, make supper that night or they have to do these things. So we kind of work mm-hmm. together. It's a team effort. Thankfully, I'm not on my own doing all of it, but definitely I notice every little moment of, of time. And so when I come home for lunch from the school, I'm throwing supper in a crock pot or I'm changing the laundry. <laughs> so just <laughs> always constantly thinking about what next to, has to be done. So yeah, it's, well, I, it's busy, I, I, but yeah. 
No kidding. But I think that's incredible that you do have that support system to lean on and you're not afraid Mm -hmm. to ask for help because I find that so many people are scared to ask for help. So I think that's amazing that you are not too proud to ask for help and that you rely on your kids too, because your kids are a little bit older. A couple of them are, right? They are. Yeah. There's a couple now that are, I've got three teenagers and one that's 10. And so, yeah, so they're stepping up as well. And I'll have to, I want to be honest, I wasn't always one to ask for help. It took me Mm -hmm. a bit to actually swallow that pride and say like, I can't do this all. So I think it is important for people to know that it's not shameful to ask for that because boy, we all need it. Yeah, for sure. Well, kudos to you for doing that. And I think it's great Mm -hmm. because we do, we we all need help and there is no Mm -hmm. shame in asking for help. There's nothing wrong with asking Mm -hmm. for support. So as as mentioned, you're the owner and founder of Even If Ministries. Can you tell us a bit about that? What the ministry is all about, the mission of Even If and what the inspiration was behind starting Even If? And did this journey Mm -hmm. begin with your own personal struggles? Yeah, for sure. So it's just a really new ministry that I began this this summer. It's been on my heart for many years, but uh, this year was the first moment where I kind of started to launch it a bit. Um, It's a faith-based ministry, and it's kind of birthed out of my wrestling my own faith. You know, I spent my whole life going to church and with the idea of how faith was supposed to work and look like. And and when everything kind of fell apart, I, I kind of was left at a point where I was wrestling with everything I believed in and everything I, what I knew to be true. And so I found myself questioning everything. So at that point, I just kind of, I was deciding whether or not to actually believe in what I believed in or walk away from everything. And I, and I chose to wrestle through some really hard questions. And what I discovered was that even if everything falls apart, even if I don't even want to say that even if things don't go the way I think they should, or if they, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? If the walls are falling down and caving in, mm-hmm. even if I've lost all hope, you know, God is there and he is gentle mm-hmm. and he's kind and he's loving and he just is waiting there for me. And so I came to the point where I must not be alone in these questions. <laughs> I can't be the only one who's wrestled in her faith and in her hard times. And so I just wanted to find a space for me to share my wrestling and a space for others to share theirs. So that was birth this summer. And uh, if I if I can have one mission statement for it, it's to reach the world to share the hope of Christ and Beautiful. what he's done in my life. So whether it be yeah. through my blog writings or through speaking or just sharing you know, parts of my story and and how I came to these wrestlings and came through these wrestlings. That's what it was kind of birthed out of. How I'm, does it work? Like, do people come to, like, do you have a space that you hold sessions in? Like, how does all that work? Right now, it's just a really, like I said, just beginning. But I've got a website that my Even F Ministries began out of. And people just contact me through there. There's a couple okay. of questionnaires in there that they can answer and you know, which direction they can see the areas of my life that I've walked through and and the things that I've gone through that I can come and I can either come to their events and speak, or they can just contact me and have questions or time together. Like I'm very open to what it looks like at this point with just connecting. I think that was my biggest thing is I just wanted to connect with others. Yeah. So I've done some speaking and I've done um, some writing for different magazines and different articles here and there. I've also, of course, written, you know, like you said, that the book, being part of the book that we were a part of. So it's a place where they can get a hold of me and and we can go forward of how that looks. I have big vision of what it's going to look like moving Uh forward. I've got, of course, ideas of hosting seminars on weekend seminars on grief and 
on certain traumas and different things that I walked through. And, and those are just the in the beginning stages of some of those right now. Beautiful. You and I have been friends for over 20 years, and I know mm-hmm. your story. But for those who don't mm-hmm. know, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about your personal story, your personal journey? Sure. It was about 12 years ago now, I guess it was. My husband and I, we were, we've been married for a few years. We had three children at the time, my oldest being, I think, five at the time. So five and three and, and 18 months old. My husband, Jeff, was getting ready for going on a missions trip with our, our local church. And uh, he was going to travel across to India for, gosh, I think a week or two weeks or something like that. And uh, just before he left, he was just, he wasn't, he hadn't been feeling well for a long time. And just before he left, he, he pulled out of the, out of the missions trip. He just said, I don't feel well enough to travel across the world to end up being sick in a different country. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so not really knowing what that was, we entered into the hospital scene of just going in for tests and finding out. And and what we ended up finding out was that he was at stage four colorectal cancer. I honestly, I can, I can picture every time I talk about this, I feel myself back in that office with the doctor. And I, I remember that moment where they shared that news with us. They looked at Jeff and they said to him, just that, that you had stage four colorectal cancer. And they literally turned their body and looked directly at me. And I'm holding my 18 month old with me at the time. And they said, we will make him as comfortable as possible. And I remember thinking, I don't even understand what all this means. Like we were thinking that he was not feeling well as in just like the flu or something, not, but never this, I never expected him to say that he had cancer. And yeah, so then what they were trying to tell me, and I I don't think I even understood at the time is that there was no hope. There was no cure. They had treatment plans, but the, the plan was just to try and keep him alive a little bit longer. And so they kind of gave us an 18 month timeline. And so, yeah, so we did, we jumped into the treatment plan that they had because we thought, what else do you do? Even if it's a no end situation, you, you jump in. Yeah. And, and of course we were faith-based believers. And, and so we did it with the doctors, with the chemo and, and surgeries, but we also based it off of our prayer and hope that, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to be alone in this, in this journey and God's going to come alongside us. So we journeyed through this and, Anyone who's gone through cancer and cancer treatments, it's horrendous. It's horrendous to watch. It's hard to watch the loved one go through these treatments. And for him, it was chemo was hard and surgeries were tough and he was really, really sick. And yet through the first diagnosis, we found out he was, you know, four months into it, that the tumor was gone. It was gone. And yeah, they, you know, it was kind of a, what we chalked up to was a mini miracle because the doctors were confused by it. They kept sending us away for scans and to see what happened and kept coming back negative, negative, no cancer, nothing found. And so we were in shock and disbelief Mm -hmm. and not because that's what we were praying for. Right. And we were praying for that miracle. That's, that's the hope we had was just a miracle because the rest was pretty bleak. And so that summer, Jeff and I, we did a triathlon together. He went back to work. We kind of went, yeah, we kind of went back to life as it was. Maybe the only difference is that we started kind of telling his story to a lot of people. And then we found out we were pregnant with our fourth child at that time. And so all these things should not have happened. I mean, Mm -hmm. again, but it did. And we just kept talking everything up to our miracles that we were praying for. And then after we found out we were pregnant with Sophie, our, our fourth child, a few, I don't know if it was even weeks later, routine scan checkup because we still kept in contact with the doctors we didn't just walk away from everything then they discovered a tiny little spot had returned and this time things were super aggressive and it wasn't anywhere like the first diagnosis this time it was it was aggressive and it just the deterioration of of 
my husband was very quickly. And there was just a point where we just said, you know, we talked about it, we prayed about it and quality of life is huge. And at one point we decided that we were done with treatments and that we were going to just let it be whatever it is. And still hoping and praying for that second miracle because we saw it one time, but this time it took them home and it happened in a very short period of time. And so I was left with three young children. Brock, I think was seven, five and two at the time. And then I'm eight months pregnant with Sophie. Yeah. And I tell you that I remember, you know, again, walking out of our bedroom because he stayed in our home for the last few months of his life. He he didn't want to be in the hospital. He wants to be around family. And I remember just walking out of the room kind of going, what just happened? What just happened? Mm-hmm. And I felt lost, felt lost and overwhelmed with the reality of life now. And I, I think I was still in shock, guaranteed I was still in shock because I don't know if I could even wrap my head around what possibly could a future look like right now. So Jeff in it. So a few weeks after that, Sophie was born. She was a source of joy that I, you know, I'm so thankful for in a time that we were all a little bit hopeless and lost and sad and just grief stricken. There's this bundle of joy who had no idea what had just happened in her world, but she brought so much joy to ours and seriously think she was the one. Well, all of my kids got me out of bed. It kept mm-hmm. me moving, kept me going, but because she was a newborn, she literally had to be fed often. And <laughs> <laughs> so she literally got you out of bed. <laughs> she, she literally had to get me out of bed. And honestly, I think that was one of the best things for me. I, you know, it's still hard to believe that that was part of our story that she had to be born into a broken home like that, but, but I'm so grateful. So, so thankful for it. Yeah. That is yeah. so sad and, and yet so powerful at the same time, you know, like that you mm-hmm. had Sophie and not to say that your other children didn't keep you going as well, but having mm-hmm. Sophie being born and, and literally forcing you out of bed because you had to. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. At one point I remember thinking, I cannot believe we are pregnant. Like how did, how could that even be possible against all medical odds as well? And, and I almost kind of got angry that I was because <laughs> yeah. I thought, how am I going to deal with yet another child now? And, and yet mm-hmm. it turned out to be that source of joy and, and such a gift in the end. And she was, she was a, the timing of, of her was perfect. And, yeah. and I don't believe in coincidences. So I believe it was a no. godly timing. I really do. So how did you begin and start your healing journey from all that you had been through and were dealing with? I mean, there must have been days like you just did not want to get out of bed. And I know you had to because of the kids, but how did you begin your healing journey from all this? There were days where I literally was caught on my bedroom floor or my bathroom floor. I just curled up in a fetal position, tired, exhausted, emotionally drained, lost. And then there was other days where, yeah, I was able to kind of cope and just do the thing I had to do next. And so I think I kind of went into a survival mode instantly Mm -hmm. afterwards because I had to, but then I ended up having to, yeah, you just, you have to still live. Unfortunately, that's the worst part about grieving is that the world doesn't stop because you you want it to, you have to figure it out. But I think I was, I was telling myself that I was healing and moving forward because I was just doing the next thing that had to be done. Again, not a bad thing. I don't think survival mode, I I don't want to give it a bad rap. That's a good thing. You're still moving forward, but I don't think I dealt with things for quite a while after Jeff passed. So we ended up having to sell the farm and move to a different location to try and and handle. I, I couldn't do life on the farm. It was, it was too much to handle. And I kind of needed a new start, a fresh start is how I was feeling. It just felt like it was too many memories that were 
causing more hard times and hurts. And so we moved and started fresh. But I think, like I say, what's kind of what I tried to do was try to fix things when I did that too. I, I wasn't really trying to deal with things. I was just trying to fix that pain. So when I moved, I actually thought there was a way of fixing things was just to hate to say replace Jeff because that doesn't sound really but in some sense try and replace what was lost right and it wasn't necessarily trying to replace him but what was lost in that sense of of a partner to help me fill that hole Um, fill that gap mm -hmm. and and help me with the children and help me to fill that yeah like you said that fill that hole and and so I did I started dating but I was doing it a totally wrong mind right. frame and truly out of wrong intentions and and end up being like probably one of the worst and best mistakes of my life if I can say that because that became my breaking point I found myself in a relationship that I wanted to I, you know I like I said I wanted to fix what was missing but I found myself in a relationship that was incredibly toxic incredibly emotionally abusive it was actually a, a really terrible choice <laughs> that I had made but in the end it landed me in to the end of me and the end of that uh, survival mode. And that's where I, I actually end up in the hospital for a few months after ending that relationship. And that's where I began the intentional work of going through the healing process and going through the grief. I spent two months actually at the mental health ward in the hospital. And I knew it was going to be risky to start hard work. It's going to take, again, hard work to go yeah. through grief and to to figure out why I did the choices I did and to land where I landed. But it was at that moment, at that breaking point, that I wanted to live again. That I actually wanted to intentionally move forward with my family. And I wanted a certain life and not just a survival one anymore. I wanted to thrive. I wanted my kids to thrive. I wanted them to be healthy and whole themselves. But it started with me. It had to start with me. I wanted to live that life for them to see that they can do it as well. So it began with help from professionals. Well, I mean, you, that's it does. It does have to start with you. You have to heal yourself or at least start healing yourself so that mm-hmm. you can be there for your kids and, and get through mm-hmm. that together. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I honestly, I can't even imagine. I really can't. So the extreme pain and heartache of losing your spouse and trying to process and grieve yourself. But then having to be mm-hmm. strong in a support system for your children, having to be there for them because they've just lost their father. How did you navigate mm-hmm. that then? And how are you navigating it now? I think when the kids were little, I hid my grief from them. I was okay. afraid if I showed them that I was sad, then that would make them sad and I couldn't fix it. So I didn't want them to feel sad. I tried to almost, again, fix it for them. I don't think I understood that I had to walk through it with them. Not that I didn't spend, you know, laying in bed with them at night, crying with them. And, and, you know, when they had those tears, I certainly, you know, had them come to me. But I don't know if I let them see me cry. I did a lot of my own grieving between the hours of like 12 and 2 in the morning (laughs) when no one can see me and, you know, and just kind of just kept life going for them throughout the day. But what's shifted in me from then to now is that I actually grieve with them now. I, I, I feel like I give them permission to grieve when I grieve, that they don't have to always be so stoic and they don't have to always hide their grief. They don't have to always hide their tears or their pain and their sorrow that they can admit that, yeah, like, you know, this is really tough. And especially now with, you know, as my kids are getting older, there's some milestones that they're walking through and there's a real hole missing. There's a real person who is not there with them. And, and it sucks. 
(laughs) There's no other way to say it. It sucks. It hurts. And there's nothing and no one that can replace that father figure that would be their own father. And, you know, my oldest Brock is graduating this year and which is crazy when I say that out loud, but (laughs) he is, and he's excited and I'm excited for him, but there's a real missing person there that should be there celebrating with him. So those are the hard things that I find still now that this, you know, those milestone moments, um, I know that those are always going to be done with joy and excitement, but still, still with a little piece of us not there. So I think when my kids now have some of their questions, again, we're at an age now where I can talk to a few of these, yeah. few of them differently now too. We can have some of those hard conversations of, you know, having a hard day and, and you know, where's this coming from and what's the root of all of this? And, and yeah, so I think I'm hoping that I'm more present with them in their grief mm-hmm. and that I'm letting them be more present with me in my grief. It's shifted over the years for sure. So how has this tragic loss changed or helped shape your relationship with your children, would you say? Again, I'd like to think that that's brought us actually way closer than um, I think we would have been before this. When you walk through such tragic loss, you either become bitter or better, I think. And I think all of us have chosen to want to become better, which meant that we had to come and support each other a little bit more. So I've got my older kids, like I said, and they work now. And so some of them don't come home till late at night. And I still find that like my oldest too, they'll, they'll come into my bed and, and just, you know, share their day with me. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, they're, we're talking 16, 17 year old children still crawling up beside mom and, and sharing their day and telling folks, <laughs> yeah. you know, some of the good things or some of the bad things that are happening. Yeah. Or, so I feel like there's been a better open communication, lots of room for growth. And that always, cause kids are kids and I, you know, life is busy, but I do believe it's brought us closer together. It's open communication for us. Um, we've been able to talk about, you know, yeah, some really tough topics that gosh, I don't think I even understood in, in my life until I had to walk through it in my 30s. They yeah. just have walked through things of life a lot sooner and some hard stuff. So, as you mentioned, Sophie was born after Jeff passed. So, how did you manage that in terms of at what age you tell you told Sophie about her father and how did you tell her like I can't even honestly, I can't even fathom how tough mm-hmm. that must have been for you Tamara. Yeah, you know, it's because again like you said she was born into this. We never stopped talking about her dad. We still do. We talk about Jeff, you know, we still remember the stories and we talk of it. So <laughs> when she was little, she would recite these stories as though, as though she was there. <laughs> Yeah. And it was awesome. It was cute. And so we kind of always made sure that she knew who he was and that he was a wonderful person, that he loved her. But I have to be honest, I don't think I informed her. He, she knew that he wasn't here, but right. I didn't inform her that he was gone and, and how. She came home from school one day, kindergarten. And unfortunately, she learned from kindergarten that our family looked different. Up until then, that was just our family. She didn't know the difference. And so she was like, there was something that they were talking about in family and stuff at, at school that she came home and discovered that she's like, wait a minute, my dad isn't here and he is gone. He has passed away. But that's kind of unique to our story and most other, and again, not that everybody has the same story that a family unit together, but in her circumstance, in her circle, that was the case that every day yeah. in her circle had the family, the family unit. unit still intact. Yeah. And so she came home from school one day in tears and I had to, at five years old, kind of explain that 
dad wasn't well and he was sick and the doctors couldn't fix him. And that's, that's the extent of how I explain it at that age, because I didn't want her to fear the word cancer. It's already a scary topic for a lot of people. I didn't want her to fear though. Every time she heard that word that that meant death, because it doesn't always. And so I just didn't give a lot of detail. And even still to this day, I wait for a certain age, I think. And as the maturity level comes that Mm -hmm. I'm able to share a little bit more about Jeff's story and, and, what he went through and the decisions we had to make and the paths that we chose and didn't choose and things like that yeah, um, certainly comes with a maturity level. And so now that she's 10, we've talked about cancer and again, both her and Bodie, my, my, my third child, cause he was only two. He didn't right. even know that his father passed away from cancer until l- later on. But yeah, so we've had some harder conversations. So it's, so it's almost like grief. It, it doesn't, it, it kind of comes alongside you for a lifetime when it's so young like that, because it's yeah. different stages where you have to process it differently as you mature and grow and walk through some different things. But yeah, I tell you, I, with Sophie, when she came home and she had that realization, boy, that broke my heart. I I'm just broke sure. my heart. And, you know, in that hospital that night when I delivered her, I do, I remember looking down thinking, you have no idea what yeah. you have lost. And she didn't. She really just no. didn't. And yet now she's grown for grown up for her age. That's for sure because she's had yeah. to. But but we've had some really good conversations about what she knows she's missed out on. It's one of the biggest things that she talks about often is that she's just really sad she never got to, for one, have a picture with him. Mm-hmm. Like everybody else has these baby pictures with him. Yeah. And for another, she really is sad that she's missed out hearing his voice. I'm sure. She doesn't even know I what mean, he sounded like. Mm-hmm. That's that's something that's hard enough for us as adults to deal with when we lose mm-hmm. someone that you'll never hear their voice again. So mm-hmm. I can I mean mm-hmm. for kids, it's it like I said, grief is a it's a strange animal, it's a tough animal to deal with as an adult. So to navigate that as a child, yeah. as a kid, mm-hmm. I, I just you know, I can't even imagine it. it. It's a very tough road to walk for sure. Yeah, it really is. And I think, again, as they, as she grows and as all the kids grow and, and realize and they start to lose those memories a little bit and, and lose the sound of his voice a little bit, it is tough. It is. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're kind of robbed of, and you are, you're, you're robbed yeah. of something that shouldn't have happened at such an age, yeah, right? Absolutely. Um, and yeah, as, as adults, I can't make sense of it some days. So yeah, yeah for them, it, it's tough as well, for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. How have these experiences then helped shape the Tamara you are today, do you think? Mm. Oh, in every way. In every way, it has shaped me and grown me as a person. I think if you don't have to step through some really tough times, it's you just kind of do life and you kind of expect life just to go the same way, just good all the time. And but when you go through some of these hard things, like a loss, especially a loss of such significance, like in my home kind of loss, it rocks your world. And you have to figure out how to do life differently than you had planned. And, you know, five years ago, I I lost my father to a heart attack. And and that loss brought up different type of grief in me than losing my spouse has. And and I I noticed the grief of dad being gone when we gather as a family. I I noticed it. But, you know, I've been away from home for years. And so I, I, you know... I only got to see dad during some special occasions, it seemed, because life was just pulled us away from, you know, hours apart from each other. So we didn't share every day together. But when Jeff died, it was my entire world was gone. And who I thought I was as his wife, as a mother, as, 
you know, our future, we had our retirement planned out already. It's, you know, almost at day one, <laughs> we had like what we were going to do. And then it was going to look like this. We kind of, you know, you kind of have those yeah. goals that you had yeah. together. But when that gets taken from you, you have to rebuild. And, you know, I started rebuilding a few years ago from scratch in day one of who is Tamara? Who am I apart from all these things? And, yeah. you know, because if we're honest, it could happen again. I, I'm not guaranteed to have everybody in my home tomorrow. Nope. Or, or for myself to be here. We're just not guaranteed these things. And so that's right. I said, I want to shape myself daily and keep growing who I am. And maybe, maybe not always say that I am a grieving widow because I think I'm a person who's gone through grief, who will continue to grieve. And I am a widow, but I'm not only a widow. Like, I want to yeah. be broader than that. I don't need yeah. to find by these things. You're so much more than I that. Wanna, yeah, I want to grow from them. I want to learn from these experiences. I want to grow who I am as a person because of my experiences. So yeah, it's so, completely shaped me. So what would you say then is one of the most important lessons or takeaways you've learned through this whole process? I'd say life is hard. Yeah. That's that's a big thing I've learned and it's not always an easy thing, but don't ignore the work that it takes to walk through grief even. I don't think that there is a book on grief per se that would say that you're going to follow these steps. I, th I think there are definitely stages of grief that you walk through. Absolutely. But it's messy. It doesn't follow a rule of you're going to go through this stage first and then this stage next. And this, I think you follow all the stages of grief, but it doesn't necessarily come in a certain timeline. So don't ignore that though. Don't, I think for myself, when I first started walking through it, I just kind of ignored all of that and just kind of said, well, I just have to plug away. I just have to keep living. I just, I can't give up, which is true, but I kind of shoved down all the emotions and all the feelings that I was actually having to deal with. So mm -hmm. do the hard work to process your emotions, to not ignore them. Don't let them lead you, but don't ignore them. And just to recognize that they are there and it will be messy and it's not going to be perfectly done well, but to do the hard work to walk through it. It is hard work for sure. A friend of mine says that he lost his mother years ago and he was comparing it to putting those feelings or putting grief into an empty room. And when you need mm. to, or when those feelings come up, you go back and you let yourself into that room and sit in the room with those feelings. Mm -hmm. And then when mm -hmm. you're done doing mm -hmm. what you have to do for that moment, you leave the room, close the door and leave it there and carry on with life. Absolutely. And when you need to go back, you go back into that room again. I thought that was a very interesting Absolutely. way of looking at it. Yeah, no, and I, I would agree because I think for some reason we have this idea that if we go through a grieving process and we think we've gone through all the quote unquote seven stages of grief, then we're done. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that's true because I think there's a lot of things that will trigger us along the way of life. Uh, like I said, those milestone things that you want to be sharing with your person and who's not yeah. there, that's going to bring up something and don't ignore that and, and be okay with that. I think just have a lot of grace with yourself in that and be okay to be messy in that grief. But again, pick up and move forward. Don't allow those feelings to overtake you or, or lead you or, you know, but don't ignore them either. Yeah, yeah. for sure. What would you say was one of the most comforting or helpful things that made it bearable for you to deal with grief, mm. the grief? Well, like I said before, Jeff and I are believers and and he was a believer as well. So I believe I will see Jeff again. I do believe that there's a day that I will see him. And that keeps me going in one breath that it may be done for here for now, but one day we will meet again. And I, and I think it brings comfort for me knowing that Sophie, who feels like she's never met him, will also one day get that chance. And I, I see my kids growing now and I see them, yeah. you know, looking to their future and their life ahead now, and especially now at that stage of 
you know, graduation's coming, you know, kind of back to back here. I'm excited for their future, you know, and it brings me comfort to see that they are excited about their future too, that they have chosen to work through some of their hard grief and do some counseling and, and things like that. And, and it, I don't know, it brings me comfort to know that they don't want to stop living because life changed for them too, out of their choice, out of their hands, mm-hmm. but they're going to choose to enjoy and embrace life moving forward. So yeah, I think that has helped me to keep pushing through is to see them push through too. I, I don't want them just to survive. Like I want them to thrive as well. And, yeah. and hearing their, their dreams and their plans and their passions, I'm like, holy man, they got some big dreams. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. And so that to me shows that they're choosing to live life as well. And that brings me just a, a ton of joy. If you could impart or share just one piece of wisdom to help people deal with or start their healing journey after loss, what would that one piece of wisdom be? Mm. I think like I mentioned before, is have grace with yourself. Grief is messy. It's going to show up at places where you don't expect it and at times when you don't expect it, but that's okay. I think I would encourage, I know you said one piece of advice, boy, that's, I can't do one piece. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just to not ignore, again, like I said, don't ignore the fact that you're going to have to walk through grief. And it's okay. And one day things will be okay again. And it's going to be different, but it's going to be okay. So just have patience. It's not something you just walk through and think it's done and over with. It's it's kind of a lifetime journey of walking through it. But, but each step is gets better. And in some sense, I guess it does get easier. You learn to uh-huh. live with it. But it, it's, you know, at the very beginning, you think you're never going to be okay again. And you are, oh, I just want to make sure everybody knows you'll get through it. And you will be okay again. Just keep going forward. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that, Tamara. Now, mm-hmm. you, as we mentioned, you recently became an international best-selling author. How was that experience for you? Oh, man. How do you describe that? Mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the thought that one day I thought maybe I'd like to write something or possibly write you know, my story somewhere. But actually to see it written down on paper and actually be read by other people (laughs) and become an international like that's mind-blowing i'm a small town girl from you know in the middle of nowhere saskatchewan (laughs) that just doesn't (laughs) seem to be possible then that's truly how i felt that like never in a million years did i ever dream that when i think back to my dreams in high school nothing came close to that and so so yes can you tell my experience has been like it's been overwhelming and and awesome and yeah nothing I never expected that's for sure I'm so proud of you I think it's incredible Mm. (laughs) I know that you shared your journey and your story in the book how cathartic was that whole process for you I mean writing that albeit it's 12 years later you still had to relive that journey right so I can only imagine how hard that must have been and, but probably healing at the same time, right? It was. You know, I think, yeah, when you walk back through it and you kind of go through all the process of your story and the details of your story, it does bring up a lot of emotions. And I have to be honest, there's times where I have to put the pen down or walk away from the computer for a bit and just kind of deal with it because it stirred up a lot of things again. And yet when I would come back to the table and start writing again, it was like, oh yeah, but we walked through that. But we did journey through that. And I think the process of seeing where we started to where we are was a lot of healing. It's like, okay, well, we are a growing family. We are a thriving family. We have walked through some pretty dark days, but look of where we've come. I think that one of the hardest things I found was trying to put our life into a very small chapter in the end. That might have been my, my hardest part was trying to put in what I thought was important and and yet where I've 
I felt like everything was important, but yeah, yeah. trying to weed through our, our story and get it across to others. But, but it certainly was a journey where I could, I could finally, even myself, look back and see where we started to where we are now. And I've, I can say, be really proud of ourselves, be proud of me and be proud of the journey that we've been on and where we are now. It was good. It was really, really healing for me. Beautiful. Well, I think you did a beautiful job on your story and mm -hmm. sharing that. And the fact that you had the strength and the courage to step up and say yes to writing and sharing that story mm -hmm. is a huge thing for starters, but to actually put it out there yeah. for others to read. I mean, the goal is to hopefully have others benefit from your story and learn from that, that, you know, you too can get through, as we've been talking about through this whole interview, that they too can walk through this grief and albeit there'll be tough times and it'll be hard and you'll want to give up, mm -hmm. but you have to keep going and you you can keep going. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that it was tough to write it and put it out there for everybody to read. And, and maybe in some ways I, you know, I was a little bit nervous afterwards, like, Ooh, what if they don't like what I say, or don't agree with the things I say, yeah. or don't, you know, like it, it is a vulnerable state you put yourself in, but, for sure. but I, I felt, and I know that you've written your story and, and we feel, I think we feel in these moments when we're writing that it's worth the risk. Yeah. It's worth for somebody else to hear our story and to give them a little bit of hope as well. And, and I think it is, you know, again, I'm from a small town here in Saskatchewan right now, but you know, people are buying these books left, right and center. I was like, Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> now everybody does know my story here. And, and that was a little daunting at first. And yet for sure. the response and the return has been overwhelming on, on so many different levels that putting yourselves out there, it is risky, but it is worth it. It is worth sharing your story. That is so beautiful, Tamara. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Tamara, to date, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win? <laughs> hmm. My biggest high or my greatest win? Uh, can we just go back to the last question? <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> yeah. I think that has been one of my biggest, just saying, I think, yes to that book mm -hmm. was the beginning of a lot of different things. And that's even before the process of writing the book or, or the process of selling and the, the trickle effect that has happened. It was saying yes to it. That, that was a big thing for me. Like you and I, we've talked many times on the phone and you knew yeah. the struggle I have. Yeah. To say yes to it. it was, it was one of those things where like, mm, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I want to, or if I have the ability to, and fear was holding me back. So I, I think for me, the biggest accomplishment maybe was that I faced that fear and I overcame it by saying yes. So maybe that was my greatest high for myself was that fear didn't win this time. And so that's, I guess I yeah. won that time. Not, not, there the, you go. That's not, huge. Not fear. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. huge. It's a huge step forward. Yeah. And like I said, it takes a a lot of courage to say yes mm -hmm. to that. That's the very first step is saying yes to it. And so you should be very proud and you should celebrate you for saying yes. And then of course, there's everything else that comes afterwards, mm -hmm. writing it and putting it out there for the world to yeah. read and all of those other things. So yeah. yes, you definitely should be very yeah. proud of that. I'm proud of you. I think it's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful, Tamara? Mm. I think when I look back on all the things that I've walked through and, and some things I haven't even mentioned on this interview today, but I've walked through a lot of different stages of life, but I never gave up. 
I think that's a huge skill set that I, I'm not even sure if I knew I had that until I stopped to look back. That no matter what I seem to be hit with, I'm determined to get back up again. I may stumble, I may fall, I may actually be down and out for a little while, but I always tend to get back up. And it doesn't mean that I do it alone. I get up with my people and my tribe and I have others help me get up, but I don't stay down. I don't know if that's... <laughs> I, yeah, I think no, my, that is... Yeah. If my mom was here, she'd probably say you were just a stubborn child before, but I think that was, de- I'd like to say determined. Um, yeah. Probably stubborn resilient, is also determined. Not- resilient. I know we can make it sound prettier than stubborn. But- we can. But the roundabout probably is. I am still, I'm stubborn. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what kind of nationality that is in me that makes me come that way, but it's definitely something that I don't want to stay stuck. And so sometimes I think I felt that way in my life that I feel stuck, but I don't want to stay there. So how do I get through this? So I don't feel so stuck in this circumstance or stuck in this situation or, or whatever that looks like. So yeah, yeah, so I would say determination and someone who's going to fight her way back up again. Speaking of success, how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? I think, and I could be wrong, but I think it's not anything like the world would see it as, you know, I'm successful by a beautiful house and, you know, the material things of life. My personal success or what I see used success as, as peace within my heart and in my soul. I feel like I'm successful when I feel at peace with who I am and my relationship with God and my relationship with my children. And not that that doesn't, you know, even with the hard days, I still have a peace of who I am. And Mm -hmm. that to me is a successful life. I've walked a few years of my life where there was a lot of turmoil within me. There was a lot of, again, the emotions were being just shoved in and not really dealt with. So I never had that peace. And, and now when I've you know, given you know my relationship with God the way that I have now, and I've wrestled through some of those hard things. I have this peace now, and I feel successful Beautiful. by that. Yeah, beautifully said. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life, and what was your life like before learning it, and what was your life like after you learned it? I know this does sounds like a an obvious statement, but you only get one life. I've learned yeah. that you only get one life, and it can be taken at any time. You're not guaranteed it even. And so I've learned, I think that what are you going to do with it? You have to have an intentional living attitude. Otherwise life is going to overwhelm you. It's going to consume you. It's going to live you. And I wanted to turn it around and and I wanted to live life. And so I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that I, I don't want circumstances or life around me to consume me and take over me, but I wanted to live my life fully intentionally. And I don't want to waste it. I don't want to assume that I have all this time ahead of me. I want to take each day and, and live it to the kind of the fullest and, and not like for some, it's that adrenaline junkie. Yeah. And that's not for me, but it, it's for me, it's living fully to being present with my kids and not always do I get that, but I think that's a challenge I now have where before that I was just kind of like, well, that's just life. So that's how it is. And, and I kind of didn't change the circumstances around me. I just accepted them in a way that was almost unhealthy and just kind of let it consume me. Whereas now I'm like, okay, well, that is life. How am I going to deal with it now? I um, love that. I think that's a big part of it is living with intention, knowing that I only get this one life and I'm not guaranteed time. So yeah. let's live. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? The one that sticks out to me probably the most is my brother was there when Jeff passed away and uh, my brother had also lost a daughter, a baby when many years earlier. 
And uh-huh. so I remember that he took me out of the house, out of the room, and he put his arm around me, and uh, he's my older brother, and he just said, the day that you laugh again, or you smile, or you find that you're joyful again, be okay with that. Don't feel bad about that. And wow. at the time, I was like, okay, I can't imagine laughing again. In that moment, yeah. I can't imagine, you know, at, at that time, I just was just a mess, right? But I remember that day when I laughed again and when I found joy, when I found something in life to be joyful again, I did, I kind of recoiled and like, I shouldn't be happy. I should be Mm -hmm. sad still. Jeff's not here. I shouldn't feel happy. And I heard my brother's voice, like, don't feel bad about that. And right alongside, I could hear my husband's voice saying, (laughs) of course, (laughs) get living. It's okay. It's okay. So I think that was one of the big pieces of advice that I am grateful for. Love it. Tamara, mm-hmm. what does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? I find I, that's a tough question. The best version of me is someone who doesn't allow fear and fear of others' thoughts of her to control or decide or dictate what she does with her life. Well said. So I think when I close Go my ahead. eyes, I was just going to say, when I close my eyes and try and envision who I am, it's not so much even, again, the success of you know, being an international best-selling author or a successful speaker or all these other things is that I just didn't allow fear to dictate what the rest of my life was going to look like. So my best version would be me moving forward constantly in spite of, not saying I don't do these things fearfully sometimes, (laughs) but I don't let it hold me back. I, I don't let it decide for me whether or not I'm going to do it. So yeah, so someone who is willing to face her fears constantly, if it has to be constant, I'm willing to to face them and still move forward. That's huge and good for you for doing it. Mm -hmm. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? I don't know if I can say there's one particular person as opposed to a bunch of people have impacted my life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was thinking about this multiple times and there's just so many people that I am grateful for in my life. And I think there's been certain people that have come into my life at certain times that have spoken something that has kind of encouraged me to keep going. So I think that's a really, I know it's kind of a general answer to that, but I think there's been multiple people that Mm -hmm. have had an impact. And in that moment, again, like I said before, I don't believe in coincidences. I believe that those are moments of impact that have shaped and changed my life and they've come at a time where I needed them. So I'd like to say there's just, yeah, one, one person, but I think there's been so many and, and I'm grateful for each one of them. Excellent. That's okay. Mm -hmm. What does the word empowerment mean to you? I see the word empowerment as a skill set or being given all the tools we need to do a job. And I don't know if that makes any sense when I say that. So for me specifically, having a skill set or having all the tools I need to do the thing that I'm called to do would be to be able to to speak about my relationship with God and, and what he's done for my life and what I feel like how he's walked through some things with me and the giftings that I feel that God's given me. And so I think when I allow God to work through my life, that I feel this empowerment and maybe not so much of my empowerment, but through him and through his empowerment through Mm -hmm. me. And so I feel like he has given me all that I need. He's given me his Bible, his word. He's given me a skill set that giftings of being able to write and maybe speak and and share and and things like that those are all the tools that i have but through with him i feel like with through him and with him in me that he empowers me to accomplish what i'm supposed to do with it now beautiful okay we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here so the next grouping of questions should just be one two three word answer type thing okay sure yeah if you came with a warning label what would yours say construction zone 
Always, <laughs> always building. Yeah. yeah <laughs> always tearing down something and rebuilding something else. Construction okay. something. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Hmm. God loves them. I think we need a, a place where people need to find hope right now. And I mm -hmm. want them to know that God loves them. What is one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Contentment. I just think no. contentment is something that we have to learn to be okay with. Yeah. yeah. What is your favorite self-care practice? Mm, my walks. I do a lot of walking. I take my dog generally, but my walks. Yeah. Those are my daily decompressing moments. <laughs> it's, and you get out moving too. You get out into nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Mm, that I loved people well. That people knew that I, I cared for them. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? I don't know if anyone ever picks a small town Saskatchewan, but I actually <laughs> love here. Here, I know it sounds crazy. I mean, glamorous everywhere else, but I think I'm home. Beautiful. Yeah. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What is the best compliment you can give yourself? I think I can say, I, I can compliment myself by saying I didn't give up. I didn't quit. I kept going and I'm proud of myself for that. Yeah. And yeah. so you should be. What is something surprising? that you've learned about yourself in the last year? I think I've discovered I actually enjoy teaching and maybe not so much like just with my job as an EA at the high school. I never imagined I'd be a teacher of any sort. And, and I'm not talking in an educational system and the, the school system even, but just teaching and sharing. I did not realize that that was something that I, I am passionate about. And I, I like to, yeah, I'm, I am, I'm still shocked by that sometimes, <laughs> but I do enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. In the last three years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I'd say it was probably my prayer life. As a believer, I, I, I do pray. A lot of people would say it's, well, and I meditate on the word of God. So I meditate on scripture often, but mm -hmm. that's improved drastically. I've got a friend that I pray with every morning before we go to school. We both work yeah. at the same school. And, and I think that has just reminds me again who I believe in and, and who I believe is in control of my life and who has got my future figured out. And I, and it just resets me. And so I would say that my prayer life is probably one of the biggest changes. Okay. Tamara, mm -hmm. what is your why? Others, my family. I think knowing that I'm not alone in my struggles, and I know I'm not, but it gives permissions when I share my story and share my wrestling and my struggles, it gives permissions for others to do the same. And I think, again, like I said earlier, I think we need to know that we're not alone in this really alone type world. And so that's my why. It's about everybody else. And don't get me wrong, for me as well, there's part for me, but I want to be someone who encourages others to keep going as well and not to give up. What yeah. do you see as your greatest accomplishment? I think, again, looking at my kids, not that I, you know, they are amazing kids on their own, but I look at them and I see how they have grown and how they matured. And if I can say this, I, I've had others come and share that what they see as well. And so if whether it be their teachers or their friends, parents, or my friends, yeah, I, I see them thrive in life and others see that as well. And I don't know if I would have had that or if they would have had that had I not determined to get myself better and get myself well. Mm. I see them now doing the same. So my kids, I guess that's yeah. my greatest accomplishment is my kids. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? My grandma. 
It'd be definitely my my grandma. She passed away when I was quite young, little. And, and I just remember her as a sweet, sweet lady. And I always felt like I was robbed of her wisdom, robbed of her stories, robbed of her relationship with me. And, and, and if I could just get one hour with her, I would love that. I think it was maybe five or six when she passed. So I would just love to just spend yeah. that time with her. I think she was a beautiful, strong woman. And I think I could have learned some stuff from her. Tamara, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Mm, Don't become a people pleaser. (laughs) (laughs) That has been one of my struggles over my, oh, since I can remember. And I think I found that I discovered that I lost who I was because I was trying to be something for somebody else all the time. And I didn't know who I was in that so I lost my identity through being a people pleaser for everybody. And so I would, I would warn myself of that okay. being that people pleaser. Yeah. Okay. If I could tell myself, I would learn about who I was and be okay with who I am. Maybe just, yeah, learn earlier on if you can, who you are yeah. and be okay with it. That's yeah. a tough struggle for a lot of people. It is. Lastly, yeah. Tamara, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, like your, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What wisdom would you impart? Don't lose hope in this world. It's a really heavy world, especially right now, I find. But don't lose hope. If you want to be fully known, fully seen, fully heard, fully loved, come to God. I believe that that's how I have and why I've come through the healing that I've come through is I've come to know Him and I feel fully seen, fully heard, fully known, fully loved for the first time in my life. And I can trust Him with that. And I know if he loves me this way, that he can love you that way as well. Beautiful. Tamara, thank you so very much for sharing your story and your journey and Mm -hmm. your personal struggles, the road you've walked. And I am so honored to be able to call you a friend and to have you as a guest here and to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. It has been such a pleasure chatting with you, as it always is, talking to you, Tamara. I love our conversations and I'm so proud of you and and what you've been through and the strength and resilience that you have shown. It is an absolute honor to say I know you Mm. and to call you a friend. So thank you for making the time and taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your personal story and your journey. You are a true inspiration. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Brad. Thank you so much for having me. And just, I do, I treasure our our times that we get to visit and just our time together. Thank you so much for inviting me on and just for always being an encouragement to me too. So just, I want to let you know how much of an inspiration and encouragement you've been to me too. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast today. My guest has been Tamara Leland. She is an educational assistant, a massage therapist, the owner and founder of Even If Ministries, an international bestselling author, and of course, last but certainly not least, a mama to four kids. Thank you, Tamara. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you, Brad. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.